Hello and welcome to the Dash Podcast. I am your host, Trey Gamage, and this is a special episode sponsored by the Gamage Consulting Group. We help middle school principals support student behavior. If you're interested in help with your SEL programs or building relationships with your students, I need you to go to TreyGamage.com slash shop right now to sign up for a time to talk, have a conversation, and see if we can solve your problem. Now, joining me today is Mr. Linford Malaudi. He was an educator, a K-12 as we call it over here in the States, educator for about four and a half years, but has now changed to the higher education realm, teaching teachers how to use technology in early education. Linford is joining us all the way from South Africa, and we want to welcome you to the Dash Podcast. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing very well. Thanks, man. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. This is uh, real exciting. Again, shout out to um, Chris Reese or Brian Reese, as some other folks may know him. I think he's the one that uh, put me in contact with you. So um, I'm glad we've had a chance here to connect and have a conversation. And I'm, I'm really curious about uh, what the education system is like over in South Africa. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's, it's an interesting uh, kind of an education system. Yeah. How, how was, um, so you were teaching for about four and a half years. What got you involved or wanting to be an educator? Um, I, I believe I'm from a very rural area and my background um, wasn't really that glowy. Um, so, um, you know, my hardship taught me to help other people. And when I graduated from, well, when I graduated from high school, I wanted to get into a career that will give me opportunities to help the people that are disadvantaged back Mm. home. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, I think that's so powerful. I feel like that's why most people get into education. I was actually just thinking myself today about why um, I got into education myself and why I got into um, politics. I'm a city council member. And the first thing that came to mind when I was just talking in my head was, you know, I saw a deficit for people that look like me. And I felt like I could play a part in changing um, that narrative for, for people of color, for black people, and, and just wanted to make sure that I was doing my part. Um, and I know you were teaching for four years in schools. Why did you make that transition to um, the higher education ranks? Um, <clears throat> you know, um, I am a, a fan of um, uh, skills multiplicity, and mm. I run a lot of projects um, across the country. So as I, when, when I went into teaching, I had more passion into teaching um, high school um, students and um, it went really amazing. And um, the results actually made me famous to such an extent that mm-hmm. I was involved in um, science committee. I was, I was the head of science committee um, in a particular area. Um, so I was training teachers on how to teach science. And then as time developed, I developed an interest in teaching with technology. Then I taught my learners with technology. And when they went out to the communities, they started talking about me and things that I did. So the Department of Education and local teachers started, you know, getting interest in the work that I I did. So I started getting more involved into Mm. training teachers. And then it went up. I developed interest into training teachers than teaching learners, you know. So, yeah, it, it, it went up and then 
Um, so this year I was given um, an award in um, a national teaching award in South mm-hmm. Africa, um, you know, in excellence in teaching with uh, technology inside the classroom. Wow. So, yeah, and then I think that gave me um, quite more reputation. And then an opportunity opened at higher education where, so they looked at my work. So they gave me an opportunity to be able to, you know, to mold teachers, uh, you know, into teaching with technology at a very larger scale. Because when I was in, 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 in the basic education, I could only reach few, but now I have a chance to prepare teachers while they're still um, in service at the university level. You know, so I just developed an interest along the way into um, teaching teachers on how to teach with technology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're you're hitting so much right now. I feel like I'm. I feel like I've like we're kind of connected a little bit. I feel like that's that's so important. You know, you can. You it's one thing to impact your classroom, and I talk a lot to students about success versus significance. And success is when you're able to achieve something for yourself when you're able to build a successful classroom or have, you know, results, like you said, that made you famous, but significance goes beyond that. And it's when you're able to help somebody else um, come along that path as well. So I feel like training teachers, you you mentioned um, skills multiplicity. So I'm not sure if that's um, just literally multiplying the skills that people have, or if that's a concept that you're using in education. But I think that's amazing because when you get to train a teacher, they get to impact entire classrooms themselves. So that 20 people that you're teaching or 40 people that you're teaching multiplies or compounds to hundreds and thousands of kids that are being impacted by the work that you're doing. Oh, yeah. Uh, by skills multiplicity, uh, I mean, you know, as a teacher also, or as a young individual, you shouldn't get stuck into one mm. uh, mode of operation or, or one area of interest. So um, in the context of, uh, you know, we, we are in um, uh, an environment that keeps on changing. So when it changes, we need to change with things. So we need mm-hmm. to explore quite lots of things so that when there are some sort of changes in the society and we can change along with them. So I saw, um, so I, 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 I developed interest. I was a science teacher. I was teaching chemistry and physics, but at the same time, I've, I've actually um, improved my skills on how to teach with technology or how to use technological tools. So I've developed other skills more and then developed more skills into how to teach teachers than teaching learners. Mm-hmm. That is how I've actually found myself. And I found myself as a multi-skilled um, individual who can be able to maneuver through different situations. And when they, where there is greater need, again, it's, it's where I actually get involved. When I see social problems, um, that's where I get involved. And you, you know, in, in 2015, South Africa embarked into a movement into installing smart boards in, into classroom in one of our countries, um, province, Gauteng. And it's still, it's, it's still a problem that many teachers still don't know how to use technology. Yeah. And even the young teachers that are coming into the system still have some sort of um, difficulty into utilizing the tools that exist. Mm-hmm. So it was an opportunity for me to venture into and to try to help. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that's, that's interesting. So I'm curious what, what, when you're talking technology, 
Um, what, what technology are you guys using and implementing? I hear you saying smart boards. Is there any other way? And that's in, 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 if you can elaborate on um, the problems that teachers are having with those smart boards, understanding or training, or just how to, how to mix it in with classroom instruction. And is there any other technologies that you guys are using? Oh yes, um, I, I did a lot of um, uh, trainings, uh, you know, with within my organization, um, Tisdale Project. So what I did when I developed this organization was to help teachers utilize um, technology. And as you say, uh, I said that I operated into in in, in rural villages where mm. there's not much of those smart boards. So I came up with a concept: uh, shoestring uh, ICT you know, shoestring uh, information communication technology. Okay. Now, the shoestring part is a, a, a term that I we, we use to describe improvisation, using what you have to make it work. You know, uh, it actually emerges from science. As I was a science teacher, I was a fan of shoestring science. In other words, if we are in an area where there's no uh, traditional scientific apparatus, uh, but still, we need to achieve the goal um, of learning and teaching. What is it that we get from our bathrooms, our kitchens, to ensure that the learners that are based in schools that are more advantaged with resources still get, uh, I mean, uh, actually, I mean, the learners that are in advantaged areas are they at the same level in terms of knowledge with those that are in disadvantaged areas. So mm -hmm. we improvise. And then I uh, coined the concept of improvisation with technology. So that's the reason I, I said these um, uh, shoestring signs. Now, mm -hmm. what I did with shoestring signs was I used, uh, um, um, you know, I taught teachers on how to use cell phones because many of our learners have cell phones so mm -hmm. i taught them how to use cell phones um you know to make learning more interesting even when they don't have data projectors or, or smart bots you know um for instance um you know in one of the, my uh, master's uh, thesis i did research on how to use um the the mobile technology app whatsapp you know in how to i mean we, we used it how to I mean, we use it to improve rural learners' career conceptions. So what I did was, um, since the learners are based in geographically isolated areas where they cannot meet people from different career fields, um, I actually contacted people from different universities and different countries to be guests in my WhatsApp group, which I had with mm. um, the rural learners. So that when the rural learners get out of the high school, they, um, they already have an idea of what being a doctor means, what being a, a chemical engineer or mechanical engineer means. Because we find that um, the learners based in rural areas end up selecting careers at higher education without understanding the nature of those careers. And that may, may contribute to the high failure rate that we have in the universities at the first year level. So I wanted to bridge the gap with those learners. So, and then... Um, we also use um, Zoom for, as we, we use it now, for, I mean, to teach, you know, for inter-school team teaching. Um, I also use quite a number of apps, you know, um, like um, ScreenLib, uh, for instance, you know, um, you know, to ensure that we still get the same quality of teaching and learning without, even though we do not have um, data projectors. 
Yeah. Yeah. So that is that is what I'm all about. But um, a lot of the work that I do can actually be found on my Facebook because I, I, I share a lot of things on, on Facebook. Mm, okay, okay. So I need to add you on Facebook. I saw you on LinkedIn. That's I'm looking in the wrong places, man. This is some this is really good stuff. And it's you know it's I think what's really interesting is the problems that you're facing are the same things we're facing in America, you know, specifically with rural education, you know, the, the lack of exposure. When you're in a bigger city you, you, your kids tend to be overexposed. They see too much. They're exposed to too much. But when you're in a rural, isolated, disadvantaged area, they don't see enough. You know, there's no economy. There's nothing going on around them uh, for them to be able to understand what's outside of the area that they're in. Um, so that's a really special, um, that's a really special place to work. You know, and I feel like, in a lot of ways, the students that are in rural areas are even more disadvantaged in some ways than folks that may be in a more city type of area because we don't really think about rural education very often. I honestly didn't even hear about it until I moved to a rural landscape. Were you born into um, the same kind of situation that you're teaching in or did you have a more uh, diverse experience growing up? Well, I, 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 I was born and and raised in, in, in a rural village. So I know the kind of challenges that people in the rural villages ex- experience from the first hand. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. Okay. And now going from, you, you mentioned, you said, I feel like you gave me the background just now of all the work that you've been doing. So can you talk some about the results that you've achieved, all these things that have made you so famous in South Africa and internationally, um, the results that you've gotten from some of the projects you've been working on? All right. Yeah. Um, so I think uh, the most important thing uh, was my organization, T-Cell Projects. Uh, it opened up a lot of opportunities. So when I started using WhatsApp in the rural village to teach learners, even when they were not inside the classroom, because during the day I would go to school. Then after in the evening, I would teach them using um, WhatsApp so that those that may have not understood the content of my lessons may ask more questions and learners can be able to interact and collaborate, which was actually uh, something that was done for the first time in the community. And then parents and and learners started appreciating that and started making me famous outside because Mm. they were like, you know, there's this teacher who does some things and, you know, um, many of the schools um, are banning um, cell phones. So learners are not allowed to bring cell phones into the schools and um, parents do not allow um, learners to be on social media because they believe that is destructive. So I called parents and actually talked to them about the advantages of using social media platforms and they saw me doing it. Um, you know, so I actually contributed towards um, conceptual change that social media isn't just something that's uh, destructive. It's destructive when you do not use it, um, you know, sufficiently. So as a teacher, I found a new way to utilizing or um, these social media platforms into being educational platforms. So it gave me a name and again, uh, with shoestring science, it's a concept which I advocated for in the rural villages. So I did quite um, lots of projects with teachers and learners. You know, they were inspired by the way I was using um, simple tools to make learning more interesting. For instance, you know, we have uh, concepts of um, intermolecular forces in 
in in in in in in, in, in high school, we have concepts of electromagnetic waves in high school and things like that. So in order to demonstrate those things, you know, in most cases, you need traditional, uh, Western traditional um, upper scientific operators, but we don't have them uh, in, in the rural villages. So what I would do is I would um, mix, um, uh, um, we call it, um, you know, liquid soap uh, with water, and then spray in an, um, an air freshener and then start to light it up. Mm. And then the kids would now see a flame going up. And then the question would come, why is, it, is, is there a flame? And I would be having that flame on my, on, my, on my hand because afterwards I stay up and have the foam onto my hand and then burn my hand. They would see my hand burning. But then I don't actually feel the heat. You know, that's where starting... That's where learning starts. And then I would also be suspending cell phones, uh, electromagnetic, I mean, cell phones, uh, electromagnetic waves by actually covering it up with a foil. And I would tell them, you know, this is, this is how, or I would engage them on um, how, um, you know, devices are not being found when they, they are lost. And they'll be like, you know, the device has a tracker or the car has a tracker, but we cannot track it. It's mm. because of the the waves have been suspended, and I engage them in activities that would actually yeah. help them into trying to understand what is actually going on and what is what contribution can they bring into the world. Mm. I mean, we do not have um, uh, uh, you know lots of light bulbs to portray you know um, functional electric circuits, mm. and then I, I I used to use the application called FET simulation you know, to portray how electric generation is actually um, uh, taking place, you know, and then ask them questions on how they could actually mold the electric generation, um, you know, uh, procedures to ensure that uh, we become, um, you know, environmentally friendly and things like that. And those things are actually the ones that are, that made me more famous because I help teachers at the same time helping learners and I've, I've, I've got a team that works on this project. So yeah, the results have been quite amazing. They've yeah. been quite great. And last year I actually won an award into being South African man of the year in the category of science and technology. And then recently in, in June, I've just been um, afforded a, um, you know, a, an accolade of being um you know, male and guardian um, young South Africans, mm. uh, yeah, in the category of education. So I was in the top two hundred wow. young South Africans. Wow, wow! So you you really are famous, man. It's a privilege for you to be on the show today. <laughs> Thank you very much. No, that that's that's absolutely amazing. You know, one of the things I want to know, Linford, or just just your thought on this: Where does your drive come? For, to, to keep on pushing like this. You, you were not satisfied with just working in the classroom. You were not satisfied with the deficit. And you have, it sounds like you have an amazing drive to make something happen, to bridge the gap, as we like to say. You know, where, where does that come from? And do you, how, is, is that something that you're born with? Or is that something that we can teach our teachers to have that kind of drive? Well, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> it, it comes it comes to the question of whether teaching is a calling or not. I, I don't believe in in um, describing you know careers as a calling or whatsoever because 
you know, they, I mean, a career can be a calling, but it can also be nurtured, you know, because in, in high school, um, our teachers would always say, you can never be a teacher, you can never be a doctor and things like that. Um, looking at some of the uh, characteristics that we are having. But as time progresses, we develop uh, as, you know, things change. You know, a person is being molded again by the environment in which they live in. If I move from one area to another, I might develop new interests and new skills. And as a result, might pursue a particular career in which I'm passionate. And that wouldn't be I was born with, with that capacity, but I was just shaped by the environment. So what happened was... You know, just like any other person, I just did teaching, you know, just as a teacher without having great understanding of what teaching entailed. But then when I got into teaching now, I helped uh, my first group when I started teaching was in 2015. And I saw how they appreciated the work that I was doing. I was just helping at that moment. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't have much drive. I was just trying to help. Then as I helped, I saw the change happening into the kids. Parents came and started praising the work that I did. And then um, they, gra they graduated from high school and they went into the universities. They came back and told me, uh, you know, the kind of impact that I made. And that actually made me, you know, uh, look important because I had some sort of inferiority complex into the work mm -hmm. that I did. But then as they came back and said, you know what, you have helped and we wish you could help more. Then I started now developing comp um, confidence into the work that I did. And then, yeah, I helped more. Then as I helped more, uh, more went out to the university. They came back and they were like, you are really a source of inspiration. So I inspired more. I even inspired the teachers. And then I started having, uh, you know, um, lots of teachers as my proteges and then I had learners as well as my proteges. So these learners or these students, as they graduate from high school, they get you to the university. My relationship with them continued and more of them now are starting to become part of my mm. organization. Mm. And, you know, and then now I'm unable to stop what I'm doing because there are a lot of people looking up to me, you know, so I think that is what's driving me into doing more because there are people that are looking up to me mm. and I cannot give up despite all the challenges. Every time when something kicks me down and I feel sad, they will always say, look, this is where you've come from. This is what you did to us and nobody can ever stop you um, along the way. You need to continue. You know, when I'm down, I look at what I've done before and then I keep on moving, you know, because I didn't want... I mean, I've been mentoring people in, in, I mean, on how to overcome challenges. And then now I'm the one, uh, you know, experiencing those challenges. I always feel like, look, it will make me look like a hypocrite if I don't conquer this. Let me right. just continue, you know. Right. What, what do you feel like are some of the greatest obstacles in front of you moving forward, whether that's internal, you know, from a personal standpoint or externally? Well, I, I, you know, in, internally, I, I, I feel very important. I don't want to lie. And, uh, um, you know, it molded my, my self-perception and it molded the way I look at the world. Like, uh, you know, I'm only 27 years old and, um, you know, quite a number of people told me that, you know, since I was about 21, 22, they've... They've, they've been seeing a change in me. They knew that I was born sort of 
you know, I had those leadership skills and I was learning to develop into something that is, that is great. So now my thinking capacity has actually surpassed people of my age, mm. uh, my responsibility, you know, and, you know, so I, internally, I, I could say, you know, I've developed into being a responsible young adult yeah. because there are lots of people looking up to me. Yeah, yeah. Well, shoot, I need to keep up with you then. You, you got about a year on me. Um, I'm 26, so it, it's a really special thing to <laughs> that, that's, I feel like this is something that we have to do more often. Um, oh, yes. Particularly as like black educators in America, I don't know what the statistics are in South Africa, but here only 2% of educators are black males, you know, and, and I, can, I couldn't imagine how many, um, you know, I don't know how many the total is male and female, but there, there's not many black male educators. So anytime wow. I get an opportunity to speak to um, another African-American male that's in education, it's, it's literally ins- inspiring to me. And I know that I have someone that I can reach out to and talk to um, about any challenge that I'm facing in education and just feel comfortable reaching out to somebody else that looks like me because that's something that I don't see often. Oh, oh yes. And one of the things, I, before I forget to mention, you know, um, the idea of opening up uh, my own um, NGO had, was actually planted in at Peachtree, I don't know if I still remember the street, Peachtree Street mm-hmm. in Atlanta downtown yeah. next to, uh, okay, I forgot the, the name of the hotel. It's just next to the underground mall, okay. opposite to the Mata train station. So as I was working there in, 20, mm-hmm. in 2014, so our... Um, when I was still doing my undergrad at the University of Johannesburg, they they had a student exchange program with Georgia State University. And as I was walking down the street, you know, I, I've, just, I've just developed an idea after I've seen how um, a lot of, I mean, the passion of a lot of American teachers, you know, I, you know, I, I, I admired the way you know, um, uh, um, teachers in America invest a lot in education, especially in the early childhood. Mm. So I admire them. And I told uh, my professors that when I arrive at home, I'm actually going to develop something. It won't be the same as the organizations that you have in America, but Mm. I'm just going to convert quite a number of things, you know, in order to ensure that my organization serves the the, the needs of my, my community. And Dr. Julie Washington and uh, Professor Gwen Benson were were there when I said all these things, and they've been supporting me since the beginning of my organization until even now. Every year, they actually come to South Africa to to attend um, uh, you know events of my organization in the rural villages. Mm, mm, that's that's pretty cool. I, I think, yeah, yeah, you get exposed to um, a lot of things. I have a, a quick history lesson on that Peachtree Street, but before I do, I want to acknowledge what you were just saying as well. I'm, I'm learning so much more right now. I'm with you. I'm, I feel like I'm. I, you're just saying many things that I'm thinking or just realizing myself, and it's kind of um, taking me aback a little bit also. I didn't realize how many second or third party education organizations there are that support and that are willing to support and trying to support um, kind of the foundational principles of education. Um, So that's a really special thing. And I also want to just connect you with some history to Peachtree Street in Atlanta, because there's a book, um, you may have heard of Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Have you heard of that one? 
Um, I, I have heard of it, but but but, but I haven't read it. And and that's that's fine. It's it's um there's a a version of that made by Dennis Kimbrough, and it's called Think and Grow Rich: A Black Choice. And it's the same book, but it just lists African American references. So Peachtree Street is actually where Alonzo Herndon, who was born a slave in Georgia, he moved to Atlanta for a better opportunity as a barber, and he he started wow. off just cutting clippers. Um, cutting he started off cutting hair with just the clippers in his basement at his home. Ended up working his way up to um, to Peachtree Street, downtown Atlanta, in the early, early 1800s. He may have been 20 or 30 years old. And his barbershop grew into what was known across the world as the most beautiful barbershop in the world. It had um, marble ceilings. It had hot tubs. There was a full-service barbershop downtown Atlanta owned by this black man. Um, they had bathtubs. They had facial scrubs. They had massages. They, they, it was just a full-service grooming um, situation. He ultimately ended up becoming one of the first African-American millionaires in the United States and started a life insurance company that grew to be like a $140 million business. So that thought that you had may very well have been uh, a thought that was from ancestors of, you know, Peachtree Street and just a connection with um, some of the things that have been, that went on, you know, over 120 years ago in that area. So I, I think that's the, that's the value of exposure right there. You know, we're talking about the rural settings to, to bring it full circle. You know, you talk about connecting folks via WhatsApp. And so that experience that you had in Atlanta um, on Peachtree Street connects you. It exposes you to so many things that uh, maybe you would not have had the opportunity to see before. So the fact that you're able to create that opportunity for students using the resources that you already have is a really special thing to be able to do. Mm, yeah yeah wow that's that's amazing that's amazing yes sir yes sir so i just had to share that um with you that, that brought that just that was the Thank first you. thing to mind when you said that so i may send you a link to that book or a copy of it something like that um please do please. and so I was, I, I was thinking also you know talking about this education stuff i know um you know we have the federal government that subsidizes education i think the state as well and then you've got Title I programs. Um, but a lot of the money is distributed based on income tax. So, uh, for example, there's a 200-mile stretch where I live here in South Carolina where um, the majority, of the, over 80% of the population is a minority, people of color, and 88% of those people live in poverty. And since the income taxes is how schools are funded, the schools are very mm. poor. The resources are very limited. Um, the opportunities are very scarce. How do you mm. fund education in South Africa? Uh, can you can you just repeat this question? How how is education funded in South Africa? Oh, okay. Um, um, you know, we we have uh, the public school. Uh, public schools are fully funded by um, the government, so we don't pay school fees in South Africa. Okay. Um, uh, but the taxpayers' money is being used to fund the schools, <clears throat> okay. uh, the public schools, if I could say. And then those uh, people who decide to take their kids to the private schools, then, yeah, they, they pay quite a lot of money uh, by themselves. But when you take a kid to, your, to public school, you don't have to pay a cent, um, mm -hmm. you know, including um, some of the res um, resources like textbooks and, uh, and stationery. Uh, but uh, all the monies are actually coming from taxpayers' money. 
Yeah. Everyone is text, yeah. Okay, okay, I gotcha. So tell me then for going into, um, you know, your teaching this year, what are some of the goals that you have coming up for this coming year or the next five years maybe? <laughs> okay, um, you know, when I got into the university, uh, I've been given an autonomy to design my own module. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm designing, I'm in the process of designing a module and on how to teach with technology and how to design a module that is authentic, uh, that speaks to the needs of the society. I mean, I've just come from the education system. I know the kinds of um, uh, skills that teachers need. And then I'm, I'm, I'm trying to develop a model that will also help other universities and other people that are in teacher professional development on how to develop a teacher professional development in, in um, on the topic of, you know, um, teaching with technology, but in an authentic way, you know, how to ensure that it meets the needs of the teachers into, into the system. So it's, it's currently my journey. I want to develop into that sphere, um, you know, so that I can help more universities to start looking at teacher development training in a different way. Mm -hmm. Because the, 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 you know, the, the, the problem that we are having teachers who are not that fully competent into teaching with technology is because they were not well trained at the university level. So that's the reason I'm developing something that will help into capacitating teacher, uh, um, pre-service teachers with technological skills, you know, uh, going forward uh, into um, the in-service um, teachers as well. But in the, uh, I'm also on my journey into um, my PhD. I, I want to be called a doctor as well. <laughs> I want to complete my PhD and then, yeah, and have my, my NGO growing more into all parts of the country and, uh, <clears throat> and other countries as well. And I would also want to see it operating in the United States as well mm. and other African countries. Okay, okay, okay. I love that, man. So I'm, I'm guessing that chuckle when I asked the question was because you already had, you already got your future planned out. That's excellent, my friend. That's excellent. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thank yes, you. Yes, indeed. So tell me, Linford, how, how can the people find you? How can they get more involved with you? You mentioned Facebook. I know you're on LinkedIn. Is there any other place that we can find you at? Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm almost everywhere, uh, but uh, I'm more, more active. So if you really want to catch up with the things that I do, rather follow me um, on Facebook. It's Linford Malawdi. I'm Linford Malawdi everywhere. Okay. Linford, L-I-N-F-O-R-D, and then Malawdi, M-O-L-A-O-D-I. Um, on Twitter, on Instagram, uh, but in terms of my professional and community development work, my Facebook page is always kept up to date. All right. All right. I love it. Well, I, I just added you on Facebook as we were having this conversation. <laughs> so excuse me being a little distracted, but I'm so impressed by you, um, Linford. I'm excited about the work that you're doing to train the teachers because I feel like, you know, at the end of the day, our teachers are spending the most time with students. They're spending more time than anybody else with the next generation. So if we can get them to... Uh, feel confident and expand their capacity in the classroom. It's ultimately going to expand their capacity for the next generation that's coming to take care of the world and, and change our lives and change everybody else's lives involved. So I thank you so much for taking this time to join me um, all the way from South Africa, Lynn from Malawi, and thank you for listening to the Dash Podcast right now. 
Um, this is a very special episode, and I can't wait for you to share it with everybody that needs to hear it. If you know a teacher, an educator, a principal, please go ahead and take this episode to share it with them or tag it in the episode right now. We will see you next time. This is The Dash.